The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. Uh, Teams have less than a dozen games to play. Three teams have clinched in the East. 0.0 teams have clinched in the West. Uh, One division, uh, the Atlantic, has been clinched. And there's still so much we don't know about this season. Is Patrice Bergeron going to rack up yet another 30-goal season after the age of 30? Isn't he like three away at this point? He's like three away at this point. Yeah. Um, I I personally think that will happen. Um, I I have I I I am less likely to believe that it will that it won't happen. Excuse me. I I think that he can score three goals in the last ten eleven games. However many, however many they have left. I was hoping to see Trent Frederick get to twenty, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. I mean, he's he's got twelve games to get. Or ten games or so to get four goal, uh, four goals. That's it's doable, but I don't think he's going to make it. I think he's going to come up like too short, maybe. And you know what? Uh, if it leaves him that much hungrier for the playoffs, I'm okay with it. Um, unless I've missed my mark, though, there is one ongoing streak that could expire, and it's a little shocking to me. Oh, are you talking about the streak that uh, started with a number eight? No, I'm actually talking about a Mr. Marshand. Uh, he's at, he's he's got at least one shorthanded goal in like the last ten seasons or so. I mean, he, and apparently he has zero shorthanded goals this season. I, I I'm somewhat surprised by that, but I'm also not. He has been passing the puck so much this year, including passing up on at least six. I didn't say it was a bad thing. Six like empty netters in the past like month and a half. Yeah, I didn't say it was a bad thing. I'm just uh, I just I I didn't realize that all season long and he hasn't scored any shorthanded goal. I mean, it's not like him. He usually has a couple. The team didn't have any as a whole until the halfway point. Um, and I remember he was involved with the setup for one with, for Bergeron. Um, but it, it doesn't surprise me. Um, the streak that I was thinking of then is how long it's been since the last Boston Bruin hit 50 goals. Uh, that was, of course, Cam Neely. Cam Neely, yeah. 50 and, and that 44. Was practically 30 years. That was 30 or so years ago. And David Pasternak is now one goal away with a, with 10 games left to play. I don't think he's going to play all 10 games. I'm pretty certain he'll play today in Carolina. Um, How many games do you think they're going to shut him down? I, I mean, I, I think he'll he'll I think he'll sit at least one of those games. I, I I would be shocked if it's more than two. But I mean, even I mean they need what four more wins to set the all time. Uh, to set the all-time record for wins in a season in the NHL. They still on track to take the points re- to take the points record as well. 
They're at 117 points. They have 10 games left. Um, so that's what, six points away, is it? Or something like that? 123? Uh, I thought the record is 130-something. 132, I think. So they'd have to win, like... They'd have to win out, essentially. Uh, no. They'd have to uh, win, like, eight of their games or something like that. Because that'll give them 133. They have to win eight more games out of the line. Well, yeah, 132 is the record set by the 76-77 Montreal Canadiens. Mm-hmm. Um, so... That they need 15 points to tie that, 16 to beat it. They would need to win, so they need to win eight of the last 10 games. Uh, without going into their schedule, resting the people who need it. Uh, I mean, it's possible. Uh, I mean, they're not resting anyone against Carolina today, to the best of my knowledge. Um, and I, we went into the schedule last week. Or the week before, I forget which. Um, so we're not doing it today. Um, wow, this is more impressive than I thought. Okay, so Brad, yep. and his short and his shorthanded goal streak has scored at least one shorthanded goal for the last twelve seasons. The only time was in his first year. And do they is twenty games enough to be considered your rookie season? Not quite. No. Okay, so his first season, but I won't call it his rookie season, he played in 20 games and he had zero shorties. In well, fact, in those tw- in fact, in those 20 games, he had a whopping one assist. Yeah, he had he had and no goals. The difference look, in how he played from that 20 from the, game cameo to now the cup run. Well, yeah, I mean, the cup run was the next year. Yeah. I'm sorry, the year, uh, two years later. Um, it's still pretty, a uh, pretty staggering hill to climb. But for 12 years in a row, he scored at least one. He's got a total of 33. So it, it's a little, it's a, it's a little bit more of a shock than I thought it would be that he doesn't have any this year. I mean, he's not exactly, and he's not like blowing away the power play numbers either. I mean, he's got eight power play goals, which is right about average for him. As weird as it is to say, given that he's effectively a point per game player this year. Yep. He's not having a good season for him. Like I watching Brad this year. And yet he's, he's got not, and yet he's got the healthiest tips. <laughs> He's got the healthiest tips he's had in five or six years. Um, he, Brad Marchand has not dominated games this year. He's had shifts where he it was just embarrassing for the other team to be on the ice with him because they were on the ice with him, not playing against him because he was going around them like they were pylons or cardboard cutouts. Mm-hmm. But you haven't seen that two or three or four or five or six or seven times in a game yet this year. Is he attempting to flip the switch? You know, the day the playoffs start, he's going to take over 
uh, that opening round series and have six goals before uh, before that series is over? Maybe. Is he capable of having six goals in a series? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would. Would I rather see him? Uh, would I rather see a little bit more vigor right now? Probably. Um, we already know that they've lost players that we really wish they hadn't. You know, Taylor Hall is out. Um, we don't know. I mean, he's skating again, so in theory he'll be back. I don't know whether they're actually uh, whether they're actually sitting him just because uh, of cap implications or not, and I don't think anyone else does either. But you've also got Derek Forbert out. He's he had been leading their uh, penalty kill time uh, on the most effective penalty kill in the league. Um, I don't want any more injuries. Like I want zero injuries the rest of the series, the rest of this regular season, more than I want any of the records. Fair enough. Like the only record that I can actually say I want is for Monty to get more wins in his first season as a head coach for the team <laughs> than Babcock has, because I not than a Babcock. Babcock. Mike Babcock actually holds the record right now. Oh, really? Yeah. How many did Bruce Cassidy have in his first season as head coach? <laughs> uh, I think we're. I think we've left that uh, first, first full season. <laughs> I think we've left that behind now. Has he? Has he surpassed that number? <laughs> oh well, he's third all time at this point. There's. Um, Wait a minute. Who's third all time? Um, Monty is. He's third all time. Or first year coaches with a oh, team. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, then he's probably surpassed Cassidy, yes. Well, given that Cassidy is not one of the names ahead of him, I would I would have to uh, say your math is mathing. Thank you. Good. That's good to know at this hour of the morning. Yeah. I don't know. You look it, looking at Brad looking at Brad's numbers, you wouldn't they don't necessarily corroborate that statement. You really have to be watching the games and look deeper because you look at his numbers. And aside from the fact that he's only got 20 goals, which is depending on how you want to look at it, it's they still have eight games to play. They played 64. Well, eight games, listen, eight games, 18. Yes, he did. They've played more than that. Okay. Yeah, they have. Um, but he's only at 20 goals. Last year he had 32 and 70. Um, year before that he had 29 and 53. That was our lovely 56 game schedule. Uh, yeah. You know, year before that in 70 he had 28. So he's, his goal scoring is a little down, but his, I mean, his points are. He's at a point per game. You can't complain. I'm not complaining. And if you look, his shooting percentage is at 12.3, which. It's also is a little down, but his face-off <laughs> percentage is the best it's been in four years. Uh, I, I assume <laughs> that being able to lower himself a little bit uh, and set his feet better, uh, with the hips working, helps. Bruins played 72 of their 82 games. 72, okay. So he's played in 64 because he did miss. He was he was one of the the absentees at the beginning of the season, was he not? Or was he? Did he start yeah, he up straight? He was part away? of the injury. Uh, he was part of the mass unit. Okay. I mean, 
but you look at his blocks and hits and they're right they're right in line with everything he's done. Numbers wise, you wouldn't make that statement. But yeah, if you watch the games, he doesn't He is and passing he, up the ability he is passing up opportunities to score goals. But he's also come out and said that while the hips feel great, he's still getting back to a hundred percent. And he said that on more than one occasion. Yeah, but that I mean the last time I heard that was about two and a half, three months ago. I thought he said it more recently than that, but okay. Um I uh let's dive into some of our other stories. Where do we want to go this week? Oh goodness. PHF, I think that's an excellent place to start. I think I well, I think it's a, I think it's actually a good place to start. I was just wondering where to fit it in with the since they're actually having their final today. Not, um, six p.m. Mountain Time. Uh, the PHF Isabel Cup final is being played. ESPN Plus. Uh, Chris, who's playing? We have the minute we have the Minnesota Whitecaps who eliminated the two two time or three time in last two years in a row Boston Pride Isabel Cup winners playing the Toronto Six. I don't know as much about the Toronto Six. I hate to say I have not. Well, they are still a relatively new team. Yes, but for them to be playing in. Them to be playing in the final is not exactly a small feat. No, it's not. Uh, I mean, the the PHF is eight teams uh, at the moment, which uh, which is set to grow. Uh, you were we were talking about this just before we hit the big button. Yeah, some of the things that and 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 during the games they they they're showing they're 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 hyping up next season. They're actually expanding another team uh, going into Quebec. They have increased the salary cap, and after doing a de- after doing a dive, discovered that they are not lying about this. They have the highest salary cap in women's sports, at one point five million dollars per team. Now it's a little it gets a little convoluted because they have twenty players on a roster. If you compare it to the WNBA, who which was our first thought. But the WNBA only has an 11 or 12 man, excuse me, 12 woman roster. Uh, so their salary cap, even though it's slightly below 1.5, is actually less players to spread out. So the salaries per individual are higher. Correct. Uh, but having watched, and unfortunately, I did not get to see the Toronto games, but watching the two Boston and Minnesota games. Yeah, if you're still on the fence about women's hockey, you need to watch today's game. You need to watch, uh, one of the women playing for Minnesota. Her name is Jonna Albers. Uh, phenomenal speed. Her shot. Uh, she blew two of them by Kareen Schroeder, the goalie, the the rookie goaltender for the Pride. Uh, Kareen Schroeder, who was the dominant player in the league in the regular season. And she and and she was dominant. I mean, we're talking I believe 19-1 one and 1. Yes. 
Uh, nominated for three awards. Uh, she's up for, and let me pull the story back up because I don't remember each and every nominee, but uh, for Cor- Corinne Schroeder, it's most valuable player. Mm-hmm. Outstanding player of the year. Goaltender of the year. And uh, rookie of the year. And the thing is, all of those awards for the regular season are deserved. But I mean, in the two games against Minnesota, she did look human. And in a league as competitive as the PHF has become, um, and that's despite the expansion uh, and fairly, I mean, steady expansion in the past, you know, five, six years. A human isn't going to do it like it's it's weird to say, but you in, you know, short, short series, you can't have a bad night. You can't have a you can't have a bad period. And um, it they I I don't I don't want to. But we do it with we do it with the guys. So I'm going to do it here, too. They look like they expected to step on the ice. And based on their record, I can see where they might get that opinion. But they look like when they stepped on the ice that they were just going to automatically progress past Minnesota. They did not appear. First of all, in game one, they actually started similar to the Bruins. They they looked like they showed up late. And the first period was, uh, well, math. Is a math is a positive way to describe it. So they arrived on the ice versus showing up to play. Yes. Yeah, I, I've seen a game or two like that. Not just from the Bruins, not just from the Pride, but yes. And they have a highly talented team. I mean, Lauren Gable is Lauren Gable. I believe is the one that scored twenty goals, had twenty assists during the regular. I mean, forty points during the regular season. She's I, I believe she was number one scorer in the PHF or close to it. Yes, she was. Um, 20 goals, 20 assists, uh, nominated for Newcomer of the Year, um, which is a separate award from their Rookie of the Year. Um, the She is out of Clarkson University, so those of you in the – uh, in the area, uh, might have seen her playing for the Golden Knights. Um, she set several program records uh, and helped secure two NCAA Division One national championships in 17 and 18. She's Clarkson's all-time leading scorer with 213 points. Um, and 116, including 116 goals in 160 games. Yes, I'm going to say that one more time. 116 goals in 160 games. And yet, and yet, my first example of why they didn't progress in the play, she was shooting percentage 13.7 during the regular season. Almost 14%. Yep. Scoring. Uh, and granted, it's a small sample size. It's a small window, but two games played, she had one goal. 
Yeah, I mean, this is a this is a girl who was like a goal per game or just under it because twenty two games, twenty goals, twenty assists. She had one goal, no assists. Uh, not for lack of shooting, she had seventeen shots in two games. <laughs> not for a lack of shooting. It's just that it just it just didn't look like the team that was playing during the regular season. And Minnesota wanted it more. But it's if to watch the PHF and to say that, you know, women's hockey is not as exciting. It was exciting. There was physicality. There was uh, they they don't hit with the same force as you would see in the NHL, but they are still very forceful. There's a block shots. I mean, these women are selling, selling out to block a shot. I mean, Minnesota and, wanted it so yes. bad. It, same size puck, the same frozen. Yeah. Puck, and much lower body mass to block it with. Mm-hmm. I mean, Brad Marchand is probably heavier than 98, 99% of the women's hockey. Um, I mean, some of the women's weight are listed. Um, I haven't seen that before or much in women's sports, but um, I mean, Laura, uh, Lauren Gable, who we're talking about, is all of five four. Um, that's not particularly small for women, but I mean, I can't think of a NHL player who's actually listed under five six or five seven, um, and she's listed uh, at elite prospects where. Uh, they've added uh, the PHF in the last couple of years. Um, she's listed 148 pounds. You know, we talk about uh, Johnny Hockey as one of the smaller players in the league or Tori Krug or. Uh, yeah, and, Suzuki, you know, Yamamoto. And these gals are all smaller and all blocking shots. And I. I I would love I would love to listen to John Tortorella point out that, you know, Becca Gilmore is blocking shots. Why can't you or uh, <laughs> because, yes, it, it's it's going to wind up certain players probably more than it should. But you know what? It's part of the job. It's part of the job. Um, yeah. Watch the game. Watch the game. <laughs> Where to next? Oh, at some point we're going to have to. No, I'm not. I don't know if I'm ready to talk about him yet. Should we transition to women's junior hockey? Why don't we jump to women's junior hockey? Um, so let's see. The U.S. Women's National Team Evaluation Camp is set for the 27th through the 31st in Blaine, Minnesota. Um, Sounds like a hockey town. um, They will be selecting the uh, 2023 IWHF Women's World Championship team uh, before the first. Um, The complete list of 46 participants um, is, (coughs) is available on USA Hockey, uh, teamusa.ushockey.com. Um, there's 
some pretty familiar names, uh, women who have played in the PHF, Olympic and World Championship teams in the past. Um, uh, Becca Gilmore, who I just mentioned, Amanda Kessel, Hillary Knight, uh, among the among the forwards uh, who are going to be there, 24 of those. Uh, there are six goaltenders invited. Um, and uh, let's see. And 16 defense. Um, there's, you know, states like Minnesota, New Hampshire, not surprising. Wisconsin, Michigan, not surprising. Allie Simpson, uh, defense out of Colgate College. Frisco, Texas. Um, Texas. Claire DeGeorge, Anchorage, Alaska. Um, Hannah Bilka, Coppell, Texas. Um, we know Hillary Knights out of uh, Sun Valley, Idaho. Uh, there's... I mean, women hockey players are coming from everywhere. It's uh, it's a pretty good thing to see, um, and it's good for the sport as a whole because where guys and girls are playing, um, there's just more room for more teams. Uh, you know, we could see a women's team in Salt Lake City. We could see an NHL team in Salt Lake City 10 years from now, 12 years from now. Um, head coach uh, for the well, director of women's national team is Katie Million, um, and uh, I anyone who can uh, who can follow some of the coverage probably should. I think this is uh, just from the names that I recognize. Looks like there's going to be a fun, strong team. Completely agree. Uh, I haven't seen the full roster yet. Uh, At 46 players, there's a lot. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm assuming that some of them have been there before and uh, along with new names that are going to be. But you got to figure if there are new names on that list coming out of colleges all around the country, they're going to be going into or looking for a place to continue their careers. Absolutely. PHF growing, expansion team. Increased salary cap. Uh, Reagan Carey, the current commissioner, is more than excited about getting anybody who's willing to help grow the sport. And that's basically the quote of the last line of the previous article, the previous story. Reagan Carey, the commissioner, she's all excited about how the growth of the sport has gone on. And so you could take these young women, grow the professional. They're on the right track. Absolutely. One thing that I wanted to talk about today, and I didn't realize it until I looked at his stats again. I was wondering when we were going to get. I was trying to avoid it, and I would. <laughs> we're not going to spend much time on it. But that's all right. I genuinely wonder if this season, this off season, we might not see a Jordan Bennington buyout. I wonder if his behavior actually triggers uh, triggers is not the right word, but I wonder uh, if it kind of forces accelerates? St. 
I wonder yeah. if it forces St. Louis's hand. I, the triggers, I guess, is the best word. But I mean, I, you're talking about you're talking about stuff like him throwing a water bottle at a oh, player. I would never. I would never and bring up his, stuff like him putting it, throwing his throwing a blocker punch. And by blocker punch, I mean he threw his blocker into Ryan Hartman's face. Um, and then got a two-game suspension for it. I don't remember the last time a goalie was suspended. Like, literally don't remember the last time. I mean, Fleury did come down the other end of the ice, and he was he took off his mask, took off his equipment. He was ready to go. And yes. The, and, and the linesman was like, no, 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 no. We're not having that. <laughs> but Fleury was ready to <clears throat> take on, bring on his uh, – I don't know. We need a boxing reference here. I know he, he was ready to call out his inner Floyd Mayweather or Arturo, uh, Arturo Gatti or whoever your favorite favorite boxer is. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but he starts rolling up his sleeves. It was funny. It was funny. It, and it was good to see. I mean, you know, as weird as it is to say, I think it might have been good for Minnesota because they they've been. It wasn't very long ago, like a week or two before that incident, that they were practically out of the playoffs. Right now, they're leading the division. I mean, yeah. is is having Jordan Bennington lose his um, droppings <laughs> good for the opposing team? It's it doesn't I'm pretty sure it's good not for good for St. Louis. <laughs> but. Why am I so? Why am I talking about Jordan Bennington and a potential buyout? It's not just because it's fun to talk about. No, um, it's based on the stats. Like I had opened up, you know, Hockey Reference uh, to look at him a couple of weeks back, and the uh, progression downward of his career is blatantly obvious. Blatantly obvious. Um, back in his first his first NHL stint, it happened to be the cup year. He had that ridiculous hot streak, nine twenty seven save percentage through thirty two games played, one point eight nine goals against average. Um, they, you know, everyone was talking about him. I mean, if you look at his AHL numbers and EC, I believe even the ECHL numbers that season, they're not great. I mean, he was on—he was literally on loan to the Boston Bruins because of injuries at some point earlier that year. Um, but the numbers I'm, I'm going to talk about right now. Um, so we're going to talk about quality starts. They are trending the wrong way. Quality starts. This is a save percentage um, above the league average. Quality start percentage. Um, so we've talked about this before, but a quality start percentage of 60% or higher is good. 50% or so or, or lower is bad. And 53% is about league average. Really bad starts. That's a save percentage under uh, like 850. Save percentage under 850. So first year. One really bad start out of 32 games. No complaints. Yeah. Can't complain about that. 
There's no, no way. No, that was the that was the Stanley Cup year. There's no way to manipulate that, and quite frankly, no one needs to. Second year, 50 games, five really bad starts, which means he had a quality start percentage that went from 667, which is really good, to 560, which still above league average. Still above league average. Um, so really can't complain. Then you get to the 2021 season, and his quality start percentage uh, in 42 games drops to 512. Still the same number of really bad starts, you know, 5 out of 42 instead of 5 out of 50. Yep. It's a little worrisome, but you can't really, really complain. Uh, I mean, his save percentage isn't great in either of these two years. 9-12 and then 9-10. Then you get to last year. The 21-22 season? Mm. Correct. 37 games played. 901 save percentage. Um, just 16 quality starts, so less than half of what he played. Um, 432 quality start percentage. And seven really bad starts. Well, the really bad starts number increases while the number of games played decreases. Yeah, that's going to. And that would be, I mean, in like in a in a general sense, a year like that, it's going to happen to a lot of goaltenders. Um, You know, something that where it dips a little bit. But that's four years in a row of of dip. Yeah, okay. But there's this season. There's this season. He's played 53 games to date, and it is March 26th, uh, first or early in the day, so no games have started. Yeah. 892 save percentage. This is down from the 927 in his uh, in his cup winning year. Yeah, 892. Quality starts actually. 25 out of the, out of the 53 that's not great uh and the quality start percentage is 472 so slightly hey, it higher went than up <laughs> we slightly got a po- higher than the year before we got a we got a, we got a positive to talk about okay i guess <laughs> except for the fact that you know you look at his really bad starts and that's mm-hmm. 13 that's almost double the year before. That's almost double the year before with games left to play. 13 really bad starts means that his team didn't have a shot at winning 13 games this year. Looking at the standards, uh, at the standings, the Blues are, let's see, 13 points out of out of the second wild card spot. They're 13 po- that puts them 13 points with two games in hand behind Winnipeg. With if he dropped that number to five or six really bad starts, they're probably in a playoff spot. Yeah, uh, it, it's it, they are they are tough numbers to look at, and this is why I always this is why I always say Doug Armstrong traded away the wrong guy. Absolutely. 
it, it's not that Villa Huso and and granted Huso is playing in Detroit. It's a animal of a different color. They're in a rebuild. What's in front of him is different from what's in front of Bennington, but it still comes down to numbers. Huso's are marginally better at this point. He's had some struggles in in Detroit. He started out house of fire. But it's not just the on-ice numbers. It, you look at the behaviors. You look at Bennington and what he's done uh, outside of just playing in the you – know, attacking Ryan Hartman, throwing water bottles in people's face. It's just you traded away the wrong guy. So 44 goaltenders have played at least 27 games this season. Okay. They range from some local guy uh, with a 937 <laughs> mm-hmm. down to Spencer Martin, who we hope uh, has his head uh, back on – or no, I'm sorry, different guy. Spencer Martin up in Vancouver with an 871. Oh, you're thinking of Spencer Knight. Yes. Yeah. Jordan Bennington has an 892 save percentage. He does. It's ugly. Him 34th in the league among goal among goaltenders who have played 27 games or more. 34th out of 44. Ugly. We've talked about you know Sergei Bobrovsky not earning his contract at a 90 and he's got a 902 save percentage. If you go up to the dead center of the list, you know 22 Sam Montebo who is playing on a completely terrible injury bulldozed Montreal Canadiens. Yep. He's got a 905 save percentage. Nothing to write home about, but yeah. No, Casey DeSmith at 21st is got a 901, a 907 save percentage for the Penguins. If I'll say it right now, if the St. Louis Blues had Casey DeSmith or Sam Montebo, they'd be in a playoff spot. I'd be inclined to agree. It, this is and so the, and this is why I really have to ask the question, and I'm going to be putting it up as a poll uh, after the show because I want. I want folks to weigh in on this. Am I am I completely out to lunch, or is this a really is this a thing that could and even should happen? Um, if you look at Sam Montebo uh, this year, he's played 34 games. We talked about the 904 save percentage. Mm-hmm. He's got a 606 quality start number. 606. So that's above good. It's not, I don't think it's great, but league average is a 53. So he's, he's significantly better than Jordan Bennington this year. Um, if you look at Casey DeSmith, Oh, and uh, the really bad starts are only six for uh, Montebo this year, playing for a truly terrible team. Wait, wait. 
Before you, go, I've got one for you. <clears throat> I found them. I found them a goaltender. I Even know, this is no, this is kind of cruel, but I found them a goaltender. Go for it. This particular goaltender has made 25 starts, 25 games he's played in. Save percentage of 905. <clears throat> Quality start percentage of 52 or 520, however you want to say it. Yep. Really bad starts of only seven. <clears throat> it's not Sam Montembeau. It's not uh, Spencer Mar. It's Matt Murray. You could have done, done better with Matt Murray in net. <laughs> You're saying the glass goaltender would be a better option. Yes. Um, wow. Casey DeSmith. 36 starts. 907 save percentage. 516 um, quality starts number. Six really bad starts this year. Okay. There's just be so many. There's just so many more options. It, a buyout would be painful. I understand it. But when you're talking about giving away, well, the difference in really bad starts between him and average league average goaltenders being nearly ten percent of your season, you almost have to. Even with four more years left on the, a six million dollar contract, because you're not you're not trading him. If you retain fifty percent of his salary and you give away an A prospect, you might be able to trade him. But is that is that actually better for your for your team than just buying him out? If you trade, I mean, if you trade him, I don't know much about what they have in the system as far as goaltenders. I can look up cap friendly and I can see their names and I know that two of them are 22. One of them is 21. Um, but I don't know much about them. They're all on entry levels, obviously. What they've got on the team as far as goalie, they got Joel Hofer, they've got Thomas Grice. Hofer's 22. Maybe you've got something there. They don't have a deep, as far as I can tell, and I'd have to do a deeper dive. But as far as reliable, you know what you're getting, goaltenders in the system, I'm not sold on what whether they feel comfortable, and that's why they have to hang on to Bennington. Okay. Given what they're paying everyone else in the system, how could it possibly be worse than keeping Bennington? I think they're they are legitimately paying Bennington more than they are paying the, the five other goaltenders under contract. Yes. The three goalies they have in the minors, uh, Colton Elias, uh, Vadim Zarenko, and Will Cranley, Come to two point five million. Add up uh, one and a quarter for Thomas Grice, who's a UFA at the end of the year, and then seven and three quarters for uh, a seven hundred and uh, call it seven hundred and seventy-five for uh, 
Joel Hopper, and you're only at four million. Oh, Hopper Hopper, I'm not sure quite how. Joel Hopper, he's played in four games this season for the Blues. He has a 9.44 save percentage and a 1.74 goals against average. Maybe you give him a look. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, unless you're trying to tank and get as high a draft position as you can this year. Um, I'm thinking maybe you give this kid a look. He's 22 years old. I mean, yes, okay, it is a small sample size. It's four games. But in four games, he's got a 944 save percentage. And if goals against is a team number, his goals against is 1.74. Now, unless all four games were against Arizona or what, you know, it, it, I didn't Pick look a bottom feeder, yeah. No. But still, it's, it's something you, you gotta, unless you're afraid of upsetting Bennington. Oh my goodness, they're 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 sitting me and starting the, the, the this young guy, you know. And based on the way his personality has fluctuated, maybe there's something there. I don't know. Maybe they are worried about upsetting him. I don't know. I I, I just don't think that success is going to be found with Jordan Bennington in your net. And looking at some of the minor league numbers for Will Cranley and looking at Zarenko's numbers, which are mostly overseas, Zarenko's got decent save percentages. Not fabulous, but and he's got one game with an 893. But Zarenko might be something, but he's still overseas. And Colton Ellis, the 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 third goalie that's listed on cap friendly is actually um, floating around the ECHL. Um, he's two years removed from the queue and his numbers haven't quite caught up with him yet. He played six games in the AHL with a not good 880 save percentage. Uh, I don't know how good the Springfield Thunderbirds are. His goals against is slightly under four. So, uh, But then again, he's 22. The other guys are 22 and 21. It, it, you've got to make a decision here. And I think that buying Bennington out, unless you can find somebody who's willing to take on that contract, and I don't know that there is, and if you trade him, are you trading him for a goaltender? Are you trading him just for draft capital you're not you're not getting much back for him and, and yes unfortunately at this point in time you're selling low which I mean, any you might, good investor will tell you is something you don't do you might end up having to take a different bad contract back but you can't you can't be a contending team with your goal te- with your Number one by pay goaltender being that bad. Are they going to allow? What did they have, what did they call them before? Compulsory buyouts. Com- uh, co- I forget the exact term, but uh, I, they don't have any buyout history right now, so they should be clear to if they want to. Okay, they may have to. Uh, unfortunately. And I really hope that Jordan can figure out whatever it is that's upsetting him. But 
Um, so one of the fast, well, apparently it's everything. Oh. Yeah. Ran a quick poll this week, um, put it up yesterday. Uh, which team would have the most entertaining first round matchup against the NHL Bruins? Penguins, Isles, or uh, Panthers? Mm-hmm. I, um, I don't know. I mean, for me, it's probably, probably the Panthers. For no other reason than Brady Kachuk. Uh, I'm sorry. No, Brady's in Matthew. Brady's in Matthew. Ottawa. Brady is in Ottawa. And Matthew Kachuk having at least three guys who can chirp with him for a whole series. <laughs> I mean, you got Marchand, you've got Hathaway now, um, you've got Polino actually, you've got Greer. That could be a very entertaining series for like an uncensored, uh, an uncensored like player feed, miking them up. I think from that standpoint, you're right. Uh, Style wise. I don't know that anyone on the planet other than the Islanders wants to see a Bruins Islanders series, but that's the one that got the most votes. I think it's from a standpoint of the Islanders having decent goaltending as well. I, I, I could see those. I can see games with the Islanders not being six to two, five to three. You know, they're go, games with the Islanders are going to be. Two to one, three to one, two to zero, one to zero. I I don't think you're gonna find high scoring games against the Islanders. It's possible. I'm not not ruling it out completely. I just think that with Sorokin's uh, abilities in the net and with the Olmark Swayman combo in net for Boston, I think that it makes for a low scoring affair. And I think that it's going to put an emphasis on the hockey, the talent, as opposed to is it a physical matchup? You know, who's going to who's going to skate on the ice with Matthew Kachuk and who's going to get under whose skin? Don't get me wrong. Connor Clifton's still going to run around and hit everything on skates. Yes, he is. (laughs) But he's fun when he does it. (laughs) He's fun to watch. (laughs) I am not sure I will ever forget his uh, post-game interview where he talked about laying out Lucic as two big bodies going at it. Yes, I, that was just beautiful. I am forcibly reminded of big body Javi, and it it's just hilarious. Two big bodies going at it, yeah. Good job there, Connor. He's laid out quite a few people and not afraid of them. But I, I just think that from a from that standpoint, I think the island, I think I agree that the Islanders might be as far as entertainment factor and who's going to get the the most wow, the most pop. Yeah, the Panthers. Uh, I think the Penguins window is closing. Uh, I did read somewhere about. Jeff Carter and the Penguins are going to have to face facts as far as Jeff Carter might be um, coming off off the back nine. Yeah. 
Um, it's an I, it's an older team. Don't get me wrong, the Bruins are an older team as well, but Latang and Malkin I mean, we are Crosby. definitely at the end of an era. Uh, I mean, the O three draft is shrinking. The O mm-hmm. five draft is shrinking. Um, you know, we talk about guys. We were talking a few minutes ago about Brad Marchand having a very quiet season. Evgeny yeah. Melkin, I have not heard his name at all this year. Apparently he got the game winner last night. He's still at a point per game. They don't talk about him much outside of outside of Pittsburgh anyway. He's still got a twelve shooting percentage. But you look at the you look at that roster and they are um I believe the polite phrase is not young. Yes. Um, I'd be inclined to agree. Where I just, yeah, I don't think that the Penguins, I think that Penguins but, matched up. You're probably looking at a four or five game series. Um, I mean, Crosby 35, Malkin 36. Um, Carter is 38. Yep. Zuck, I thought. I always think Zucker is older than he is, but he's only 31. And on their back end, uh, Petri and Latang are both 35. Um, Dumoulin is 31 already. And then Chad Ruiel is 32. And Taylor Padoon is 34. Their goaltenders, Dustin Tchaikovsky, are 33. Casey Smith, DeSmith is 31. Uh, and then Tristan Jari... Is he 29, 28? He's 27. Okay. I knew he was younger than – I knew he was and younger. Jari and Jari and Tukarski are both uh, UFAs this offseason. But that's that team that's – Well, if DeSmith wants a start, St. Louis should be at least kicking the tires. Uh, and they also have, you know, Nick Bedino on injured reserve. Mm-hmm. He's 34. Dmitry Kulikov, who they picked up, um, he's 32. Not a young team. No. Um, let's see. Oh. Yes. Alaska. Wow, we're branching out today. We have not been to Alaska in the show in in a little while. We have talked about college teams up there before. We've talked about players from there before. We don't want uh, but Jeremy we have not talked uh, about them recently. We don't want Jeremy upset with us, so we need to talk about Alaska. Correct. <laughs> um, Alaska, who is one of the independent teams right now, the Nanooks. Um, just barely missed, uh, getting into the NCAA, uh, tournament this year, but they didn't find out until three weeks after their last game. And this is one of those weird things that happens in college sports. You have that long layoff period between the end of the regular season, uh, and the start of, you know, tournaments. See, but that's... That's just in hockey because they actually name in, in in 
the college basketball and the March Madness and the tournament, they're actually their selection Sunday actually takes place before the end of the regular college basketball season. There are literally games being played on that day and on the Monday following it. People have complained about this. So they and then they actually know who's going to be in the tournament before the season's even over. And I think that there needs to be a balance between the two because yes. it's ridiculous to be, to be penciling out a, what is it, 68-team uh, basketball tournament? Yeah, they, they have 64 teams, and then they have four play-in four teams. So 68, yeah. Um, before, while well, the tournament is still being put together, like mm-hmm. – are they even printing the sign printing signage for all of those teams? Um, and I, I think a three week, three week gap is way too long. It's way too long. Like they don't even think about it in terms of, think about it in terms of the athlete. You've played a full 36 games and, and I'm yes. just, I'm throwing Roughly. out a number and then your body has literally gone into some kind of a and granted you get on the ice, you skate around, you do some, pre- but there's nothing to substitute for in-game speed oh, yeah. experience. I mean, you you probably, shut it down you, for three weeks. You probably played your, your, uh, your conference tourney. Uh, there's a decent chance you won it. And then you go become a couch potato for three weeks. You know, you attend to your classes, you visit your your parents, drop in for a visit. Um, You spend two nights out bowling uh, with with the rest of the team. And then, oh, hey, yeah, you're you're flying to Manchester, New Hampshire. You're going to stay in one of the two hotels within a mile of the arena. And you're going to play as many as three games in 72 hours. Have at it. What? <laughs> Seriously, that makes sense in no universe. It's like this is I mean, this is the reason we keep seeing that bounce back and forth between the one and the two weeks off um, for the Super Bowl. And I think the two weeks off is too much. I, I think that one week is perfect. Um, let everyone who's going to heal up, heal up. And I think that one week, 10 days for the tournament or like the NCAA hockey tournament, probably perfect. I think think that I, yeah, I think that two weeks is too much for, I think that two weeks is, I I think there needs to be a, yeah, you have a, yeah, you, you finished your, your conference tourney. But to sit there and wait two weeks, three weeks, I, I think it. I think ten days is perfect. You start the you start the tournament on like a Wednesday evening, or Wednesday during the day. You have two or three, you have three or four games running, and you go from there. But because with sixty-eight teams, yeah, I mean that's thirty-four games potentially at once. Not that it happens that way, but you know, you're you're not gonna. I mean just having enough officials in the four cities or five or eight cities, wherever you spread it out to do, uh, to do that many games is a challenge, much less have them 
not be exhausted, whether it's basketball or hockey, um, you know, doing double game, two games in a season, two games a day or something. Um, I, uh, I do want to throw out a congratulations and it's only a quick one just because I happen to scroll down after, because we found, you found this story on Twitter on Alaska hockey. So I scrolled down a little bit and they actually had a couple of players who have signed into the ECHL. Correct. Uh, but if you scroll down a little bit more, and this is a website that I haven't actually heard of, and I might actually start following and reading this a little more frequently. College EC- Hockey News? Yeah. ECH, everything college hockey. Uh, and I looked up their website very quickly, created to grow the game of hockey at all levels with an emphasis on promoting collegiate hockey for men and women. Uh, and they have actually named their head coach of the year as Eric Largan, the head coach of these very same uh, Nanooks. Yep. Uh, you look at his record. Uh, you look at his record. He's got a 22, 10 and two record this season. Finished 15th pairwise. But he, we're talking wins over teams like Denver and Omaha and Notre Dame. And he even beat ASU, where my one of my favorite college goaltenders happens to have moved from um, Northeastern. The the TJ Semptenfelter is now down in ASU because uh, Devin Levi came back and Semptenfelter felt that he wasn't going to get to progress in his career. It, I mean, you're talking about a decent team here and to have to wait three full weeks to find out that you missed out by one slot. Just unfair. And that's why they need to shorten that time period between the two. The Alaskan Nanooks should not have had to wait to find out that long it was going to take that they weren't going to get in and to miss it by one slot. But congratulations to Eric Largan. Congratulations to the Alaskan Nanooks. What a season. Absolutely. And to have to put together that sort of schedule and fit and just fit in as an odd and end, as an odd team to 27 other teams. And okay. I don't know if I don't know where the Notre Dame game was played, but you think that where Alaska is, uh, everything for them is travel. <laughs> Literally is every distance. like playing in Washington State is still if they go down to Seattle to play, they're playing a long distance game. I will say this. Fans of the Alaska and Nanooks they must be seriously dedicated if they're traveling fans, <laughs> because like you said, even, to, even to go play up there. <laughs> wow. Good for them. I'm sorry that they didn't make it, but congratulations was, on a heck of a season. I was, uh, I had a quick conversation with a Panthers fan last night. And we were talking about, you know, is Maurice the guy to take them to the promised land? Um, I I think that Maurice is a solid coach. I don't see him ever winning a cup, but well, you look, um, at him, look at what he did in Winnipeg. I mean, 
he he brought them to the playoffs, but he hasn't got them over the hump. Um, but you know, and the NHL has a constant need for new coaching talent. And while I'm not saying that uh, Largan is going to make the jump this season or next season to the NHL, whether as an assistant or a head coach, adding those re- adding those awards uh, to your resume is never a bad thing. This is true. Um, where to next? We only have a little bit of time left uh, in the show. Do we want to go with uh, let's go with the uh, cost per point? Because uh, I think this is a fun, quick thing. It's highly flawed, but it's still entertaining. Highly flawed. OK, I'm sure you're going to explain that one to me. Uh, if you look through this list, mm-hmm. uh, it really, really only accounts for players who are pretty young for hockey, 25, 26 and under. This is and players who are on there. there's a 30 year old right here at number 12. Stop <laughs> talking over me. <laughs> and guys who have achieved hockey old, like Derek Broussard, who's 35 um, or it's your the cost per points is great, but if you're trying to play money puck, uh, you're it's never going to work in the NHL. Um, I mean, yes, I've been talking about Tage Thompson probably since his draft year. Heck, I've been talking about Daniel Sprung uh, for quite some time as well. But guys don't stay at this contract level for very long. Um, looking at the numbers this year, Tage Thompson is currently down to $15,730 per point, which is bonkers. Um, Eric Gustafson uh, is, let's see, at 30 years old and playing for Toronto uh, on a veteran minimum contract. $20,512. Jimmy VC, who isn't really having a good year. <laughs> I mean, 10 goals, 14 assists. He's at over 31,000 per. But when you look at this, you don't see anyone like a Connor McDavid, a, even a, even a Brad Marchand or David Pasternak or, Certainly, there's Alex Ovechkin is nowhere in the top hundred here. Um, Jordan Kyrie was on the list, uh, forty-two grand per per point this year, at twenty-four years old. Um, so you're really only accounting for the youngest and the mostly the oldest players. Um, I do find it fascinating. I love, I love the odd little stats like this. And the fact that it's that Trent Frederick is uh, more cost effective than some of the guys that uh, people keep selling are going to be playing in the playoffs in, in front of him. Yeah, no, don't see that happening. Not that not the salary cap matters at all in the playoffs. But I think that the as far as I'm concerned, Trent Frederick has just been too effective without taking stupid penalties or getting stupid suspensions to take out of the lineup this year. Well, salary cap literally plays 
no role in the playoffs because if it did, then you wouldn't have teams like Tampa Bay uh, stashing a player on injured reserve and then being able to bring him back. Absolutely. You're, you're, uh, you're, so that regard, regardless, that doesn't matter. Uh, you want to look at uh, you want to look at numbers and and money and everything else. Uh, Connor Clifton is literally forty seven thousand six hundred nineteen dollars per point, whereas Pasternak is only seventy thousand dollars per point. That number is going to change at the start of his next contract when he's making eleven million dollars a year. And so I understand where you. Yeah. I, I mean, no one you. goes to see the Washington Capitals for Sonny Milano, who is a more cost-effective per point uh, option than than Alex Ovechkin. Just not happening. I mean, Sonny Milano's parents will tell you they're there to see their son, but they still ch- stand up and cheer really loud for Ovi. I mean, are we honest? Are we are we supposed to believe that? Uh, Charlie McAvoy at $211,000 per point is less important or more important than, as you said, Trent Frederick, who is $37,000 per point. No, it, it's, it's once once their once their second or third contract kicks in and they're making the millions, they're going to be pushed to the bottom of this list. So, And you did mention Connor Clifton, according to. Cost per point. Uh, he is the eighth most effective uh, in the league this year. Nice. Um, He's more effective this, than Brad Marchand. <laughs> but again, things like this don't take into effect. It don't take into account stuff like penalty kill time. I mean, if you go your entire minute and seven second penalty kill shift without allotting a shot on goal, that's that's pretty impactful. Um, it's there's a lot going on. Sean Dersey of the uh, of the Kings is two spots behind uh, behind Clifton. Um, mentioned his name a second ago. Ryan S. Clark put up a story on Tage Thompson that I think is a wonderful, wonderful thing for the league, um, for the sport. Tage Thompson is the, has a chance to be the, or let's see, at six foot seven, Thompson has a chance to make NHL history by becoming the tallest player to ever score 50 goals and or finish with a hundred points in a season. Wait, does somebody actually keep track of that stuff the tallest player the tallest player <laughs> okay ever to score 50 goals or finish with 100 points he could actually do both uh this article was written on uh march 24th so just two days ago i'm pretty certain he's had a game since then uh, i love it if for no other reason than we've seen so the league gets so small or there's so many smaller players in the league that it's it's like they've stopped looking at anyone over six foot six foot three 
um, in terms of skaters uh, to have any sort of offensive talent, which is a little bit weird. You know, Brent Burns, he's a big guy, or and quite frankly, his offense to me, his offense impresses me more than his defense. Uh, Zdeno Chara, always a great passer, um, made safe exit passes that I think he probably popularized the high flip out into center ice. Um, Joe Thornton, big boy. Um, you know, they didn't call him Jumbo to make fun of him. He was that big. Uh, I think it's nice to see guys get talked about for being large and skilled as well as being small and skilled. Um, Thompson has played 72 games, uh, stands at 44 goals, 45 assists for 89 points. So if he gets six goals or 11 points total, uh, he'll do one or both. Okay. Does this article mention defense? I mean, I mean, I I shouldn't question it that way because I did see Jamie Alexiak's name. Does this article mention the fact that you know Zdeno Chara was the tallest player, six foot nine? They make, I mean, the the author does make a big deal, six feet seven inches tall. Think about that. Picture someone putting DeForest Buckner, Luka Doncic, or Aaron Judge, all of whom are six seven, on skates, but Chara was two inches taller than that. And I didn't. Charles was a defenseman, not a forward. Right. But then he goes on and he mentions Jamie Oleksiak later in the article. So Jamie Oleksiak is apparently six, six or six, seven. Said he was always the tallest kid on his team at six, two, but grew another five inches when he was around 17. So I was just curious if he actually reached out to Chara. Maybe he didn't. I know he talked to McAvoy for this article, but he did call Tage Thompson a unicorn. <laughs> Charlie McAvoy did. Uh, what I watch Tate when I watch a Buffalo Sabres game, and I watch Tage Thompson, it, it, he is an impressive young man, and to see him hit the hundred point mark would be an impressive feat. Absolutely. Uh, they does go it make into, it? No, I, I was going to say, does it make it more impressive because he's six seven? That's, I guess, is what this article is all about. I, I think it does. I mean, when when you're talking about a league that is a hundred years old, yeah, that sees seven hundred plus skaters a year, to say something's never been done, it, it, it's a pretty big statement. Um, they bring in uh, later in the article, uh, and this article is, of course, up on ESPN. Um, they bring in a couple of skating coaches and scouts, um, one of whom is uh, Kyle Nishizaki, uh, and I'm sorry, Nishizaki of Perfect Skating. And he talks about how Thompson's skating allows him to be uh, as effective. It's uh, it's actually a better story about some of the mechanics and some of the NHL history than it is purely about Tage Thompson. Uh, I did notice that they, they talked to they talked to some doctors and and uh, other 
professional sports med- medical professionals that, who talk about the need for core strength in the taller players and whatnot. It, it, it does take a deep dive, and I'm not complaining about the article. I just I was wondering if they included the tallest men to play in the NHL, past or present. But I did not see his name. But it is it is quite a deep dive. It, it, it is actually a more in depth than just. We can't do it justice. We could spend forty minutes right. on it. And I mean, they talked to everyone from Mark Giordano to Patrice Bergeron to Trevor Zegras, who apparently grew up a town or two over um, from him. Uh, it, it's definitely worth digging into. As I said, it's uh, Tage Thompson. Title is Tage Thompson could be could do something. That has never been done in NHL history. Ryan S. Clark, March 24th um, on ESPN. Definitely take a look. Um, It's not a particularly short read. It's also not going to take you the entire afternoon. Um, Oh, NHL players poll. I really, really wanted to touch on this. And I don't uh, I don't think there's any. The surprise for me isn't who's voted it's really 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 who isn't um i'm sure you're kind of annoyed at the if you need to win one game who is the goalie you would want on your team poll which does not include uh the local guy (laughs) my question is my question would be is that for this season or is that just in general, because if that if it's just in general, Omar doesn't have the history if to that's back correct. up. History to, he doesn't have the history to back up being uh, one of the top five on this list. Or I mean, Igor Shesterkin, kind of eh, not sure. I could go with the winner on this one because well, you know, you won a couple of Stanley Cups. You've got Vesna Trophy. I could go with that. I think Fleury should be a little higher, although when he was younger, the flower and how dainty he was. And uh, but yeah, I can see why Omar might not be on this. If it, it, it the question for me is whether it's specific to this season or not. The one that gets me. Hmm. I mean, I'm super happy to see Leon Drysail get recognition. Uh, particularly at what three times, almost four times the rate of Connor McDavid uh, in votes in who is the best passer. Leon Dreisaitl finished first with 25%. Not a single, nowhere in the top five do we see David Krejci, and that's absolutely obscene. Like literally needs to be censored more than anything that comes out of the biggest trash talker in the league's mouth. All of you are wrong and you should feel shame. (laughs) Uh, The, who was the most complete player? Mm, No, no, no. How did he, okay. How did, no, like I would. And in fact, as much as how does he finish first in the, the, other guy finished second. Wait a minute. There just no. I, I would put John Tavares ahead of Sidney Crosby as a complete player, but I'm not putting either one of them ahead of Patrice Bergeron. 
So all of you are wrong. <laughs> Which um, uh, here we go. The Brad Marchand uh, memorial poll uh, option. <laughs> the Brad uh, Marchand question. <laughs> which player do you least enjoy playing against but would like to have on your team? Uh, number five, uh, Victor Hedman. Um, interesting. At 3.9%, yeah. Matthew Kachuk, 6%. I not expected surprised. him to be higher. But not surprised he's on the list. Mm. Tom Wilson, I also expected him to be higher, 8.1%. Still surprised he's on the list. He's a meathead. Um, Connor McDavid, 15.6. Didn't realize you were that you were hated that much around the NHL, buddy. <laughs> I mean, they people gave different reasons for it. Uh, if you if you follow uh, Twitter, but lapping the field is Brad Marsh and at 36 and a half percent. Why am I not shocked by that? Um, who affects the game around the net? Who affects the game most around the net? Forward or defenseman? This is an interesting list with Joe Pa at the top, Chris Kreider, Matthew Kachuk, Anders Lee, and then Connor McDavid way down at uh, five, and yeah. at only five point five percent. I kind of think. I don't remember when I watch Oilers games and I don't get to watch a huge number of them. I don't see McDavid around the net front in the same way that you see Pavelski tipping passes or shot passes uh, in front of the net on a pretty regular basis or Anders Lee for that matter. Um, You see Chris Kreider get a whole lot of tips too. So I'm not surprised by those two. I Honestly, think that half the time for polls like this, people just answer the most famous name and move on if they can't think of someone specifically. Well, and again, we get to one where I just have to shake my head because I agree with the guy at the bottom. I agree with the guy in second place. Uh, I'm not sure I agree with the guy in third place. And, uh, you know, there's a couple of players who we've talked about. Um, I don't agree with the guy in fourth place. Uh, so and hasn't, and, and hasn't the guy in first place won a selkie? Yeah, I, I as I said, I, I not a, <laughs> I didn't get that one. Like twenty three percent, Alexander Barkov. Who is the most underrated player? I don't think so. He's he's good, but he plays in a small market. Period. Yes, like he plays in a market where hockey is. Still struggling to grow. Is it great to see that the rest of the league likes him? Sure. Do I genuinely believe that most of the league doesn't know and most of the fans aren't at least aware that he is a, at worst, top 20% in the league player? At worst? Um, but Tage Thompson, 4.3, makes perfect yeah, he, sense. He will, he will not be underrated after this season, that's for sure. Mika Zibanejad, 3.3%. I think he's so streaky, and that's why he's where he is on the list, because you can hear about him doing absolutely nothing for like like two, three. And then he goes on a tear, Zibanejad, yeah. Sebastian Ajo, um, okay, Uh, I I get that. How is he underrated? 
Uh, a lot of people think that he would be a bigger name in a bigger market. Um, you know, if he were playing for Boston instead of Carolina or playing for the Rangers or the Habs or whatever. Okay. I'm not going to argue with it. Um, Braden Point. <sighs> Braden Point has been talked about so much since before the Cup runs that I don't know that I agree with this at all. Is he the first, second, or third player mentioned on that team? No, of course not. But are there precisely 31 other general managers who could have made, who would have happily made room for him? And anytime in the last two years, yes, there are. Yeah. Um, and then Jesper Bratt. Jesper Bratt should be much higher on this list because he's been doing good work for two solid seasons. He's also underrated. You think of all the other. You got Jack, and you got Jesper, but you had Pavel Zaka, and you had um, oh, who's the Bruin? The the one that scored his first game goal against the Bruins. It'll come to me when I'm not, because I don't have their roster up. He's not. He's usually like the third or fourth person you think of, but Jesper Brad is so much more important to New Jersey. Then he's given credit for him. He should be higher on the list. I agree. Um, but the players poll is pretty interesting. Um, take a look at it. It's uh, I like the next question, though. Which one? Which female hockey player, current or past, would you most want to play alongside? So they're throwing they're throwing in the women's hockey here. And I actually agree. I, I think the first two are probably. I I would I would have to agree with this. I mean Marie Philippe, Marie Philippe Poulin from Canada, Hillary Knight from America. They're like the top two names in North American women's hockey. Uh, and then you go Haley Wickenheiser, Amanda Kessel, Kendall Schofield. It, there's so many you could list. Sarah Nurse should be on that list. It, it, but I'm not surprised about the top two. And then the last question on the list, which NHL arena has the best ice? <laughs> See, I love the fact that one of the teams is a Sunbelt team. And it's not actually the last question, but um, there's two more. Which is the best NHL road city to have an off day? Um, I am in no way shocked by. Oh, that's the off ice questions. OK, the off ice questions. Yeah, I am in no way shocked by the teams that are by the cities that are listed. Um, in no particular order, they are Los Angeles, New York, Nashville, Vegas, and Sunrise. Uh, Why would Las Vegas be an entertaining place to have an off day? <laughs> I don't know. And then, of course, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but the most important question in this entire poll, mm -hmm. who has the best shoe game? You're going to have to look that one up for yourself because uh, I'm not going to spoil it for you. Not going to be responsible for anyone fainting um, if uh, if the players got it wrong. Did they get it wrong? I'm I, I can't even hint at it. I really oh, can't. Wow. Yep. Um, hey. Russian machine never breaks. Um, who puts out a lot of great content? In this yeah. case, uh, Ian Oland. Um, talking about. 
Jacob Verana, who was traded uh, basically on no notice earlier this year to Wash uh, to Detroit. We know everything that happened there. Um, and it's talking about how hard it was on Verana. Um, he's a check forward. He was, uh, you know, uh, McClellan is clo- is quoted talking about there was a tug of war between coaching staff and staffs that have had him and the way he was playing. I think we had a frustrated player and we tried to move on from that. Um, so it was Verana, Panic, first round pick to Detroit, uh, and a young, young up and coming for young up and coming Anthony Mantha. Um, Verana is now at the Blues, having uh, been moved again. Um, I didn't expect it at all. I thought my position on the team with the Capitals, uh, how I've been there since day one, since the draft, I thought I would get more opportunity and spend more time there, but that's unfortunately not what the man, what the management wanted. Um, he talks about just being in a different place and yeah, Detroit is different than DC. Um, I, to wonder what you have to wonder about preparation by not just going into the draft Mm -hmm. but as players play and uh, play in the league you know as they start to age not that Ron is old or anything but you have to wonder how much the players association the locker room their agents, perhaps, depending on where you want to put uh, the weight of responsibility for the mental health of players. Um, you have to, you sort of have to wonder how much preparation is useful before you start to get to diminishing returns. For hey, you've not, you guys have now, your team has now gone through three coaches. Um, you're 27 years old. You had a a couple of years ago, you had a you had back-to-back good seasons, 24 and 25 goals. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you've now dropped to he had 11 goals for uh, 25 points through 39 games before being traded to Detroit, and then he only had uh, eight goals. Well, he had eight goals in the 11 games after that, and it looked good. He was but the then, one that. Oh, sorry. No, I'm just I, I'm I didn't I. I thought was escaping me and I'm just looking at like Orloff being traded to the Bruins and one of the first comments he made was uh, that it was somewhat difficult coming to a new team he was you know expecting to stay in Washington and and being friends with Ovechkin and and yes we talked we talked a couple of weeks ago about Ovechkin speaking to McClellan about the trade. Right. So I'm just wondering, it's obviously a difficult thing to be traded from a team that you played with your entire career, however long that may be, whether it's three years, five years, 12 years. uh, I think that there's a little bit that has to be put on the player 
as well to sit there and just say, you know, I expected more opportunity from Washington. You know, I don't know what they were thinking. If you were having up and down see inconsistent seasons, they're going to move on from you eventually. Unfortunately, Detroit did the same thing when they traded him to St. Louis. It was because he was inconsistent. Yes, it, there was also injuries involved. But I think they got to the point where they needed more consistency and he wasn't providing it. I I, I think that there's a lot going on with Verona. Um, and I he clearly did not want to be in Detroit at all. Um, I think he's a talented player. I think that whatever happens for and to and with him in the future, he if he can't tell you he wants to be there and that he understands, you know, it's a business. Something happens and, you know, we get a fantastic offer. Yeah. We're probably going to move you. I mean, he's got one year left on his contract. Um, it's five and a quarter, so it's not exactly a small contract, but it's not if he's playing to his potential. It's a contract he can certainly earn and earn above, uh, particularly for the Blues, who have traded away a good amount of offensive talent. Um, but as a player, yeah, it's a business. You have to approach it like a business. You need to understand that you're going to lose sometimes. You're going to have bad stretches. And if the bad stretch is long enough or you just happen to be someone the coaches don't get along with, don't like they're missing your potential or not reaching you, however you want to put it, it's you could be moved. I mean, look at – I mean, there's – a there were multiple opportunities when Brad Marchand could have been moved in his career. It's still possible that he ends up traded at some point. Um, would that have been a shame? Yeah. Can I see someone getting entirely frustrated with his questionable behavior sometime? Yeah. Of course I can. Um, but I say this, they say this in, in combat sports. I firmly believe it's a responsibility that extends beyond the octagon or the ring to one's daily life. Protect yourself at all times. You don't know what's going to happen. You should be prepared for it to be something unpleasant, something unexpected. But, you know, if you get knocked off the ice or knocked off your skates, fastest path to recovery and getting back to what you're supposed to be doing, which is not laying on the ice trying to draw a call, but actually playing the game, get your skates back under you. I don't think that Rana embraced the opportunity to... Or it doesn't feel from the coverage like Verona embraced the opportunity to make new friends and learn about a new city. Is Detroit the city that I would use, that I would pick? Probably not. 
A lot of history but, there. They do know their. I mean, it's an original six team. Obviously, there's a lot of history. Oh, they from do, a hockey they, standpoint, they no. are hockey fans. So if you show up and you're not performing, they're mm-hmm. gonna let you know. It, from a hockey standpoint, it's a great hockey city. But from every other standpoint, it's a city that has a hockey team. Okay. I mean, there's. It, it, we I ever don't get know. to a day when the when there when Detroit is listed on the list of teams. Uh, Can I on the list of cities to spend an off day? It's We're going not to know that the list includes every t- every city in the team in the league. Can I speak a little freely here, though? Go for it. I, I don't want to speak ill of, of Jakob Brana. I know that he spent time in the player assistance program. But the comments that he makes that are attributed in this article make him he he almost is making himself out to be the victim. And I don't believe he's as much of a victim as he wants us to believe. Some of that. Yes. And that's a that's you're not out of place in reading that into it, because it does feel like that when I read it. I wonder how much of that is him attempting to speak uh, communicate effectively in a second language how much of it is mm, creative editing uh by by the staff uh i think that but i don't think that this shows verana in the most favorable light for him unfortunately things happened during my career detroit did not accept it really well when I left the assistance program, I didn't get any chance. The decision was to send me down through waivers right away. The decision was That's to move true. You, the decision. Yes, I understand it. But a, he was in player assistance program. So they put him down to get him playing time and get him back up to game speed. You're not going to do that by putting him back on the top roster right off the bat. I'm just I don't know. What did Detroit? It's not that I. It's not that I don't feel bad for him, but part of me doesn't feel bad for him. And clearly, it's a mindset because then he goes on to St. Louis, and he scores five goals in his first eight games. So the offensive talent is still there. Absolutely. I. I, I'm certainly not going to blame purely the teams. And by that, I mean the head coaches, the general managers, the assistant coaches, the team uh, in the corporate sense versus the roster. Um, He does point out that there's a lot of younger guys in the in the uh, Detroit system. Yes. And they're rebuilding. And that he did mention that as well, which uh, is a big switch for him. I mean, Washington is an old team, like old. Period. I mean, he's one of the he was one of the young guys in Washington, and that's a big shift. I <clears throat> I understand it's a change, but you know what? The phrase "embrace the suck" springs forcibly <laughs> to mind, and 
you know, if you embrace that new role, maybe your life is a little happier. You know, you want a cop. There's, I can't think of anyone else on the Detroit roster right now who has. Um, Mm, I don't think so. You know, that's that playoff experience, whether it happened, whether it's David Perron has, but whether, Mm -hmm. whether you get to share the preparation this year or next year, it's going to be hugely important to guys like Maurice Sider. Um, It's going to be hugely important to Pius uh, Suter. Um, you know, Robbie Fabry, there's, there's a lot that you could have done as a mentor, as a leader, had you chosen to take the role. That's where I was going to go. They have a very talented, very young team with, with, uh, Valeno and, uh, Lucas Raymond. And like you said, Maurice Sider, you got, oh, they traded Ronick, but. Philip Philip Zadina and Anderson. There's, it's just such a young team that needs leadership, needs veteran leadership, good veteran leadership. And Verona had the chance to be a mentor, be a a good veteran leader. I'm wondering, because of what he was in Washington, did he not know how to be that mentor? Because in Washington, yeah, he was on the younger side uh, as far as the staff I don't think he I don't did he not know how to be that mentor that leader you know that comes with experience that comes with uh, because now all of a sudden he's playing with guys who are close to his age and younger than his age as opposed to guys who are close to his age and above that he's learning from I mean I you can look see at- the role is definitely his role definitely was different with Detroit and he makes that comment and I respect that I respect him for that and you, I just, and you look at that you look at that uh, roster in Washington Ovi 37 Backstrom 35 Kuznetsov 30 Oshi 36 um, Mantha uh-huh. and Wilson are 28 but they were there for the cup as well um, <clears throat> Craig well Dylan Strom is a year younger but then you've got uh, Connor Sheary, who had come over from Pittsburgh at one point. Um, Orlov was there. Well, Orlov was there as well. Nick Dowd, uh, 30 and 32 for those guys. Um, on defense, you've got John Carlson, who was back. Um, Nick Jensen, 32. Trevor Van Riemsdyk, 31-year-old. Matt Irwin, 35 years old. And you've got your goaltenders, Darcy Kemper. Um, who has been around Charlie Lindgren, who's not really had deep success, but he's also older. He's been around um, Connor Brown, 29, Carl Haglin, 34. Um, both of the, all of those guys have been around. You're talking about what a quarter of the roster is his age or younger versus everyone in Detroit. But he was traded. He was traded what? A couple of months ago. Yeah, it was. Well, from Detroit to St. Louis, but when he was traded to Detroit, wasn't that like two years ago? No, I think it was only a year. He, he was part of the he was part of the Mansa trade. Um, you're right. It was during the twenty uh, twenty twenty one season. 
So that was two seasons. So two years ago. And plus, we've had the pause. And that's going to affect everybody. So, I mean, that didn't that didn't the pause, the whole pandemic did not make anyone else's anyone's mental health better. Exactly. Hey, there's I'm not taking responsibility away from from Verana for not working better at his own equilibrium. But the pandemic was a gut punch or somewhere slightly lower for everyone. Yeah. And there's not, there's a lot of people who had uh, missteps during it. Yeah. That said, I believe we only have one thing left on the story today. Uh, on the store, or two things left on the storyboard today. Anthony Declare, you had a thing you wanted to talk about. Anthony Declare, uh, just a really quick thing. Um, uh, down in down in Miami, and obviously that's where Mister Declare plays hockey for the Florida Panthers. Uh-huh. Are they in Miami? They're in Sunrise, uh, Sunrise, just outside Miami. Um, uh, but apparently. Somebody from and I had the I had this all ready to go and then I lost half the story. Isn't that great? Udonis Haslam, the captain, and he's kind of a player coach for the Miami Heat, the basketball team, actually showed up to actually showed up to game time wearing an Anthony wearing an Anthony Duclair Florida Panthers jersey. So he was repping himself. This was at a game in the Madhouse. Uh, on Madison uh, in Chicago. Nice. So, and it also, he was also trying to, uh, I mean, he was just wearing the Duclair shirt, but he was also talking about uh, Duclair's foundation. Absolutely. Uh, Anthony Duclair is doing uh, a lot of community work. It is really, really good to see, and he's going. He's going to have an impact on the growth of hockey in South Florida in a different way than Matthew Kachuk is going to have an impact on the growth of hockey in South Florida, and I think both of them are necessary. The Anthony Duclair Foundation. It's. It's uh, inspiring new and diverse generation of hockey players, uh, ensuring equal access to hockey. Black, indigenous people of color, children are granted safe and equal access to playing hockey in North America. As, it's, uh, as it stands right now, that population accounts for less than 15% of all hockey players. Those children specifically are severely underrepresented when compared to the greater North American population. It goes on to say that uh, it... it, it it is a socioeconomic thing. It, it, the fact that there's uh, hockey is not an inexpensive sport. Unfortunately, pads cost money, equipment costs money, sticks, skates. It's not one of your cheaper sports. It's not like everybody can go into soccer. All you need is a pair of shin pads and some cleats. Soccer is ridiculous. I, I mean, hockey is is expensive. I can think of ways that potentially it could be made cheaper. But I'd have to 
sit down and talk to a couple of mechanic uh, mechanical engineer friends of mine, or possibly, yeah. Anyways, so yeah, um, good, good for good, good for him, and it was nice of um, it was nice of Udonis Haslam to wrap him in Chicago, uh, wearing the Anthony Duclair jersey. That's all. Final reminder before we go, PHF um, Isabel Championship uh, games today. And the PHF and the PWHA, Professional Professional Hockey Writers Association, have announced a new partnership in which uh, the PHWA will vote on a wide variety of the PHF annual awards. Um, this is great because these are the same writers who award a lot of the NHL um, honors. So this just, again, underscores the growth uh, and the maturity of the of the PHF uh, as a league. Uh, and I, when I say maturity, I mean in terms of being a defined product with good relationships with its uh, infrastructure, that being, you know, both the arenas it plays in, its media partners, um, and, of course, the news media. Um, this is a great thing for the sport and I, I can't wait to see, uh, these teams develop, uh, further and the league develop further. And that hockey fans is where we leave you, Chris. I'm looking forward to Isabel cup tonight. There's also a Bruins game on this afternoon. Enjoy the hockey.